going to look in Matthew's Gospel, and then we're going to look in the book of Revelation. Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter of Matthew. How, everybody feel, how is everybody feeling? All right, good. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And I do realize it's not December. <laughs> this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a faithful, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream, in a dream, said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place, all this took place, what the Lord had said through the, to fulfill, sorry, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1, it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon with its seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child in the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place. They lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And then one last verse or passage I want to look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Interesting. <laughs> so in the book of Revelation when the author of well let me let me backtrack just a little bit. The book of Revelation is a is what's called in scholarly biblical circles a temple text. A temple text. Which means that the community to whom John is writing is familiar with the imagery, the pageantry, and the symbolism of the temple that's standing in Jerusalem. Tradition tells us that the book of Revelation was written after the destruction of the temple in about 90-something A.D. However, that's based on one statement 
from a church father that could be construed a couple of different ways. Nevertheless, that tradition has stayed with us. But if you look at the text itself, it's strong indication because there's a temple and some of the things that are mentioned that the temple is still standing in Jerusalem. And it's highly unlikely that John's readers would have any thought of some rebuilt temple that may or may not happen sometime in the future 2,000 years removed from the time that it was restored. But nevertheless, about when it was written, it was a temple text. And the temple was meant to be a miniature universe. It was meant to represent the creation. So when you had the laver or the baths, if you read the description of the temple, it represented the seas. The candlestick represented the tree of life. The, that's why it was ornamented with uh, fruit on the candlestick itself. The seven lights of the candlestick represented the seven main lights in the sky, including the sun, the moon, and five of the planets. When the book of Revelation opens, Jesus is seen holding the stars in his right hand. And so in order to understand some of the signs in the book of Revelation, I think it's helpful to look at it from an ancient perspective and not a modern perspective. And so when the sign appears in heaven and it is a woman clothed with the sun, it's talking about the constellation Virgo, who is the virgin. And it's talking about... see. If you look, at, it used to be if you looked at the newspaper. I don't know how they do it now, but it used to be those of you, you know, the chieftain used to publish horoscopes, right? And it would have the dates, and you would have different signs, which simply represent constellations and the position of the sun in relationship to the constellations at the time of your birth. So if you are a Virgo, then the constellation Virgo is in the sun. So when it's talking about the woman being clothed with the sun, it's it is a very strong representation of Virgo, who is a virgin. Now remember, before you get upset with me, that God designed all this stuff. <laughs> and the Bible even says the heavens declare the glory of God. That He put the stars in their place and He knows them all by name. And so while you can look for, shall we say, pagan interpretations of the constellations and the pictures that they form, you can also find very strong biblical application for the constellations. And it's also why there were 12 suns, because you have 12 months revolving. Uh, I mean, it all coordinates with the heavens. And God told Abraham this, your seed will be like the sand of the seashore and as the stars in the sky. So what you're seeing is a picture of Virgo or of the heavenly virgin giving birth. So what you're seeing in the book of Revelation is a virgin birth. It is a virgin birth that the dragon is getting ready to devour, which would have remnants of King Herod. (laughs) And when it's talking about the stars that were withdrawn from the sky, we've kind of added some of our Christian thinking to that that developed much years later about the fall of Lucifer and all of that. But in a temple context, it's probably referring to the corruption of the priesthood from the Herodian line. Because the nation of Israel was to be like the stars in the sky. Right? And so the child that's about to give birth to the, to rule the nations, it all, it all kind of fits. I mean, do you, do you see it? But here's my point. When you read in Matthew about Mary, Matthew is telling the story. He says, all this happened, the virgin conceived to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. And what the prophet Isaiah said, if you go back to Isaiah 7.14, what he said about the virgin birth, he said a virgin will conceive and give birth. And what he said there, he said it will be a sign. It will be a sign. When you see the virgin in the heavens giving birth, it's a Sign. So Mary is a sign. Mary is a sign. Now, 
the early church, as far back as you can trace church history, the early church venerated Mary. They didn't worship Mary, but they venerated, which means they exalted her. Now, some of, you know, what happened within particularly the Latin world and Roman Catholicism particularly, later on, centuries later, Mary perhaps comes to be worshipped. And so we as Protestants would look at that and say, that's idolatry. But see, here, here's, here's the issue. I think the church understood something. They, they understood Mary as a sign or the virgin birth as a sign. Now, what does a sign do? A sign points to something else or it's, or it's an outward visible manifestation of a deeper inward spiritual truth. Correct? Yes. Is it fair to say that? Now, here's the thing that's also true. You have levels of consciousness. You have levels. You have a conscious mind and you do have a subconscious mind. It is your subconscious mind that keeps you functioning. Subconscious mind controls your breathing. Subconscious mind controls all the automatic functions like walking. Dedicated a baby today. Could you imagine if you had to learn how to had to remember how to walk every time you got up? What we think is automatic is not automatic. Your brain had to be trained how to do it. Otherwise, you would have come out of the womb walking. It's not natural. It's not automatic. You had to become conditioned to do it. And so your subconscious mind becomes conditioned to run on autopilot. Your your subconscious mind receives commands from the world around it and from the conscious mind, and it assimilates it until it starts running on automatic. Anybody ever had a bad habit that you wanted to break? And no amount of willpower allowed you to break that habit because what happens is our conscious mind and our subconscious mind oftentimes are not in agreement. Or our conscious mind is trying to navigate the world and make changes and our subconscious mind is very slow at catching up. But here, this is, this is a proven scientific fact. The subconscious mind re- thinks in pictures, not in words. And so transforming deeper levels of consciousness happens through imagery more than it happens through talking. That's why there's a difference between information and transformation. Are, are, are you breathing? So here is what Scripture is supposed to do. Scripture is full of stories, which also speaks to the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind doesn't think logically. The subconscious mind thinks in images. The subconscious mind thinks in metaphors. The subconscious mind thinks in in uh, story language. And so what what is supposed to happen for us is not just a historical document. The Bible loses its power if it is only a historical document. The, Psalm 119, David said, The entrance of your word brings light. So the Bible literally is a book of light that is meant to transform your consciousness. And the reason it's meant to transform your consciousness is because it's trying to awaken something inside of you. So if you and I study the scriptures strictly from a literal perspective or strictly from a historical perspective, then we are missing the point, the point of preaching, the point of the Bible, the reason churches, ancient churches, were filled with biblical images was so that it would, when you came to church, your subconscious would be powerfully impacted with images that would bring about a kind of transformation that would awaken inside of you the consciousness of a son and a daughter of of God. So that there could be real transformation. So that you can transcend your, your personality. So you can transcend your problems. So you can transcend this mask that you wear and walk through the earth with. I mean, while we're on the zodiac, this kind of preaching gets me in trouble, but while we're talking about horoscopes, If you've ever done in-depth research into your astrological sign, you will be shocked to find out how much you are like it. People are not stupid. They're not as stupid as you think. There's a reason that humanity for centuries, for millennia upon millennia, have bought into that stuff. Because I promise you, you get a real 
chart done on yourself, you will be shocked at how accurate it is. Because you are built to respond to the heavens whether you realize it or not. You are built to respond to something that transcends this earth whether you realize it or not. And all that stuff is sending energy to you and all that stuff God set into place. But here's the reality. The reality is is that you're meant to transcend that. You are not meant to be defined by that. You are not a Virgo or a Scorpio or a Pisces. That is simply the energetic pattern that you are living in the earth. But it is a pattern that you are called to transcend. And part of that transcendence requires an awakening of your consciousness to the reality of who you are in your own divinity as a child of God. In other words, you came here with a divine spark. You came here. Christ is the root of your being. Christ is the light that gives light to every person who comes into the earth. We read it last week in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're told that when we die, that our body returns to the earth, but our spirit returns to God who gave it. So your spirit is the divine spark that the book of light is meant to illuminate and awaken and fan into flame. And so when we're talking about Mary and the virgin birth, the virgin birth is important, but it's not important for the reason that you think it is. It is, it is not important because humanity was tainted by Adam's fall. Adam did not pass a sin nature onto Cain. We know that from Scripture. Because God tells Cain, sin is lying at your door. Not sin is within you. Not sin is part of your nature. Not sin is in your being. He said sin is outside of you. It's lying at at the door like like a beast hungering for you. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If Adam passed the sin nature on, surely he passed it to Cain, the first murderer. We just read in the first service, Peter, when he goes and preaches to the Gentiles, he said, God has shown me not to call anyone impure or unclean. So, Jesus did not have to be born of a virgin to escape the impurity of Adam's fall. You're not reading your Bible if you, if you come to that. Because what the Bible says about the virgin birth is it is a sign. Everybody say with me, sign. Not essential to salvation. Not a principle upon which we can build our soteriology. It is a sign. So what is it a sign of? What does Mary represent? Well, now we're coming to Paul. What did Paul say? Paul said, watch this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I wanted to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In other words, what Paul says is you're the virgin. The original veneration of Mary was not so that you could worship Mary as though she was something other than you. It was to exalt an image. Oh, if if I could say it this way, it's almost like Moses putting a serpent on a pole so that everyone who looked at that pole might be healed. The veneration of Mary was to exalt an image so that you could behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, as the scriptures say, and be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, she's not the exception, she's the example. When you look at her, you're looking at yourself and the and the reason Jesus had to be born of a virgin was because it was a sign to you to show you that you are carrying something in your being you are carrying something in your center you are carrying something in your womb that no man could give you that did not come from mommy or daddy that did not come from the way you were raised that did not come from your heritage or your culture or your background or your education or your schooling or your pastor or somebody who laid hands on you you came into the earth carrying something carrying a divine seed that is in you by the Holy Spirit that was not put in you by a man (laughs) 
So that in beholding that, you could awaken to who you are. You could realize that God God wants to present you. He wants you to see yourself as a chaste virgin. That's why in the very next verse, Paul mentions Eve. Because if Jesus was the undoing of Adam, then Mary was the undoing of Eve. If you read Luke's account, so here's how it happens in Luke's account. You ready for this? In Luke's account... Gabriel shows up at the door. You think he shows up in his splendor and in his glory, but there's nothing in the text to indicate that. And in fact, the further an angel moves away from the sacred, the more natural they become, which is why you're told in the Bible that sometimes when you entertain strangers, you're entertaining angels unaware. When Zechariah in the book of Luke, when the angel comes out to talk to Zechariah, he's in the Holy of Holies, and he's startled by his presence because he comes in all his luminous. But when he comes to Mary, Mary's not in the temple, Mary's at home. And she gets a knock on the door and she's startled. There's nothing, there's no reaction in her at all about the presence of the angel. She's startled at the greeting by the angel. And she tell, and, and, the, and Gabriel tells Mary in Luke's account, you know, that you're going to give birth to this ruler, to this king, to this one that's going to save his people from their sins. And she says, how will it be seeing I do not know a man? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And how does she respond? Be it unto me according to your word. Well, let's go back to the story of Eve. What does the serpent say? Yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. No, we can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, we cannot eat it, nor can we touch it, lest we die. You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be like him. See, what he tempts her with is likeness. But see, here's what we don't get to. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And God created them male and female in his image, not his likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let him have dominion and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and everything that creeps upon the earth. And God made man in his image, male and female, he made them. They came into the world carrying the image of God, but the likeness of God was something they had to be transformed into. So God knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. See it? That which is to be born in you is going to be like God. The likeness of God does not come from outside of you. The likeness of God is implanted inside you by the Holy Spirit. And so Mary is receiving the seed of the likeness of God in Christ. And instead of questioning the word, she says, be it unto me according to thy word. So she is the new paradigm of the new humanity. (laughs) She's the new parent, if you will. She is the new mother of the new creation. She is the mother. She is the example. She is the archetype. She is the pattern. She is the paradigm for everyone who's carrying the divine seed inside them. They just don't know it. So therefore, Paul says, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear as the serpent beguiled Eve, so your minds too will be corrupted from the simplicity or the purity or the purity that is in Christ. See, the reason it takes a virgin is because in order for the divine seed and the divine spark to be awakened in you, it's got to be pure. There is a purification process that you must go through before you can attain oneness with God. It is totally different thing to think you're one with God and a totally different thing to be able to manifest oneness with God. And the, and the difference between the two is like night and day. 
I can know that I am a son of God. I can know that I have union with him through Christ. I can know all the privileges and things that I ought to be able to do as God manifested in the flesh because the divine seed is in me and yet not be able to do a single work to manifest the evidence to prove what I say I believe. And that's where most people are because they don't understand that it takes a virgin to give birth to a ruler. It takes a virgin clothed with the sun. It takes a virgin walking in the light with all the darkness underneath her feet. In order to manifest what she's actually carrying. There has to be a purification of our consciousness. So watch this. So, so in Luke's account, Zechariah is past the age of childbearing, but his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. Now here's how the book of light works. If that's just in a historical account to you, good for you. But if you understand everything in there is a pattern to awaken your consciousness, you can look deeper. And you can realize and invite you to realize that the name Zechariah means God remembers. And the name Elizabeth means God has promised. And John the Baptist is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So it took God remembering what he had promised and the two coming together, but before anything can manifest on the earth, God may remember and God may have promised, but until there's a voice, nothing can happen. It takes a voice. It takes someone to give voice before anything can happen. So Mary says to Gabriel, be it unto me according to your word. And you know what Gabriel says? He says, your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. Six days. On the sixth day, God made man in his own image and after his own likeness. Six is the number of man. That's why John the Baptist was not born of a virgin. Okay, let's do it this way. Jesus said this. Among everybody born of women, in Matthew 11, he says, among everybody born of women, there has risen none greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, to my natural mind, that makes no sense because I've met some of you saints. <laughs> Ain't no way you're greater than Moses or David or Elijah or John the Baptist. Because that's how we look at it. We're comparing. How do you do those comparisons? How do you know who's least in the kingdom? How do you know? But he says, he who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, right? So, Gabriel says in the sixth month, she's carrying John the Baptist in the sixth month. And Mary leaves and goes to a place, to the hill country, actually to a place called Hebron, to meet Elizabeth. And when she walks in, to Elizabeth's presence, even though there's nothing that can be seen of her <laughs> to let her know that she's pregnant. She said, my baby leapt in my womb when you greeted me. In other words, what's in me gave voice to what you're carrying. So what is least in the kingdom? So you've got to understand all of Jesus' parables. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, 
just the smallest of the seeds that gets planted into the ground, but when it grows up, it becomes a great tree. What is least in the kingdom of heaven is not a comparison of saints. (laughs) It's what you're carrying that you don't know or cannot see yet and is least in your life. In other words, they can't see Jesus inside of Mary. Elizabeth can't see Christ. Nobody can see Christ inside of Mary because it's least in her. (laughs) And none has been risen. That which is born of man, that which is born of women, that which is born in the image and in the likeness. In other words, you could say it this way. John the Baptist represents the image of God, but the Christ that Mary's carrying represents the likeness of God. And so therefore, that which is least in the kingdom is always greater than that which man can produce. That's why the Sabbath day was on the seventh day. Six days it's given to men to work, but on the seventh day you enter into rest. Why? Because on the seventh day you transcend the fullness of what man can do at the six to step into the seven. And the seven is where the Christ or the divine spark inside you begins to be awakened. Why do you think... In the rhythm of life. I'm so thankful for the family I was born in because they drove me to church every Sunday. And I've pretty much been in church every Sunday of my life. With few exceptions. During the summer we had swim meets. That was about it. Other than that, I was in church every Sunday of my life. And you know why I'm grateful for that? Because it set a rhythm in my life. And why did we go to church on the seventh day? I mean, I know our our weeks begin on Sunday, but that's just on your calendar. Everybody knows the week begins on Monday. And Sunday is part of the weekend. I mean, your calendar may say one thing, but your consciousness tells you something else. So why do you go to church on the seventh day? Because it's on the seventh day that that which transcends the works of man should be awakened in your consciousness. It's at that time that you are uniquely prepared to begin to hear something that transcends that which goes beyond what what humanity can accomplish. That which goes beyond the works of man. That which goes beyond what a husband, what a man and a woman can produce together and moves into that which only God can produce. Are you hearing me? So you're resting on the, so there's an unconscious rhythm. And so when you're hearing the word on the seventh day, your conscious mind is connecting with what's in your unconscious mind. And you actually have to get through both before the divine spark in you can be raised and awakened. And you can look at Mary as a pattern for how to do that. In other words, there has to be an acknowledging that even though you cannot see divinity manifesting in your life, it does not mean that you are not carrying it. That the first step is simply agreeing, be it unto me according to thy word. In other words, God's looking at all of us and saying, something of the Holy Spirit's been deposited in you. The power of the highest has overshadowed you. That which you are carrying in your spiritual womb is holy. That which you are carrying in your spiritual womb is sacred. That which you are carrying in your spiritual womb is divine. And the virgin, because Virgo is all about purification. It's about purging your life of everything that is inconsistent with Christ. I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear it's not it's not about morality. I fear your mind will be corrupted by the serpent's voice, which is why the dragon is there to accuse in the book of Revelation. See, whether you and I want to accept it or deal with it or not, we carry in our mind the record of this life. (coughs) And we carry with us the record of all our shortcomings. 
We carry with us the record of everything that we've done wrong, every bad thing that's ever been said to us that we ever believed, every bad thing we ever said to ourselves, every bad thing whoever ever spoke over us. You know all your secret dirty stuff better than anybody. And whether you like to admit it or not, there is a voice inside you that is kept record and keeps accusing you of all that stuff that is very unchristlike that you're dealing with in your humanity. Or it's trying to convince you that there's another way to get the likeness of God. <laughs> trying to get you to look out here for it instead of in here for it. If you go to enough Bible studies, you'll become like Christ. No, Bible studies should awaken your consciousness to who you already are. It doesn't put anything inside you. It doesn't give you anything. All it does is awaken your consciousness to who you already are. How many of you journal? I used to journal. I go back and I read some of my journals now and I just cringe. Because for me, my journal was where I put all my private thoughts and a lot of my thinking was stinking thinking. And you go back and read that and it's almost like a record of the accuser. And one of the best things I ever learned was about prayer journaling. It was about being able to sit in the presence of God and hear the affirming voice of my Father. Hear the affirming voice of my Creator beginning to speak to me, not with a voice of accusation, but with a voice of affirmation that began to awaken things inside me that I didn't even know I was carrying. Which is why you always need a voice. It's why Mary had to go see Elizabeth because she had to connect with a voice. <laughs> Elizabeth needed Mary to awaken what was inside of her, but Mary needed Elizabeth to confirm what she already knew. <laughs> and you'll never get to the point that you don't need a voice that speaks encouragement, that speaks life, that speaks to you as who you are, not as to who you think you are. That speaks to you according to your divinity, not according to your humanity. That speaks to you according to your potential, not according to your past. And the tragic thing is that many people have mistaken the voice of the dragon for the voice of God. The sad thing is, is that many people go, and when they start prayer journaling, all they can hear is a God who accuses them ever bit as much as the serpent or the dragon or their friends and neighbors or themselves. And the deepest form of rejection and abandonment is not rejection from a parent. It's not abandonment as a child. It's not the pain inflicted on you by a spiritual leader. The deepest form of criticism and rejection and abandonment is when it comes from your Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and without pregnancy. It was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the word for deep there is the word for hell. When God looked at his creation in the beginning, it was chaotic, it was empty, it was full of darkness and hell. And he didn't throw it away. What it says is, and the word there for spirit's feminine, it's, it's mother spirit pulled creation close. 
One of the most beautiful things, I think, to come out of Judaism is the idea of zimzim. <laughs> zimzim. Yeah, that's it. You know what that is? What they say is that in the beginning was only God. And in order for there to be creation, he had to create a void within himself. He had to withdraw himself in order to create a womb in which creation could exist. Watch what he does. He withdraws his power to give something unlike him a chance to manifest. That'll hit you about 3 o'clock in the morning. Here's my point. Here's my point. He doesn't force creation. He doesn't overly influence creation to make it what he wants. He does the exact opposite. He withdraws himself and limits himself to give a dark, chaotic, hellish creation a chance to form. And when he does that, he doesn't throw it away. He pulls it close and hovers over it. And God said, God's hovering over the face of the waters as well. And God said, let there be light. And God saw the light and saw that it was good. When light hits water and you're looking, you're hovering over water and light hits water, what do you see? You see a reflection of yourself. And you know what else Paul said in 2 Corinthians? He said, just like God was hovering over the deep in the very beginning and spoke light, he's spoken light inside of our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that when I'm dark, when I'm messed up, when I'm chaotic, when I'm empty, when I'm hellish, God does not throw me away. God does not withdraw from me. And God does not abandon me. But God gives me space to experience myself and space for me to grow and pulls me close and hovers over me and incubates me until at the right moment he speaks to me. And when he speaks to me, he does not speak to the darkness. He speaks to the light. When he looks at me, he does not see hell. When he looks at me, he sees himself. And when he sees himself in me, even when I can't see it, he says it's good. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances might be, God does not see the darkness and the hell and all that other stuff. When God sees you, He can see your very essence. He can see that which is trying to emerge from the darkness. He can see that which is trying to fill the void. He can see that which is trying to rise from the depths of the hell that you're going through or the hell that you're around, which is the very divine spark of who you are. The very essence of who you are is divine. The very essence of who you are is God. And the reason the church venerated Mary was because you've got to realize that if the Word became flesh, the Word became flesh in Mary first. So she's walking around God incarnate. And what God wants us to see, what God wants you to see is you are a divine spark. You you are an extension of of himself. And he withdraws himself enough from you that there can be distinction without separation. There can be distinction without abandonment. There can be a unique experience that you grow and develop into that you can be of God yet separate enough to be a unique experience for God. <laughs> so that there can be genuine love between the two of you. But nevertheless, when He speaks to you, He's looking at Himself. 
What if I were to say to you when you pray, it's God talking to God. When you worship, it's God worshiping God. When you pray for someone, it's God praying for God. If you've got to shed that old, just I'm just a rotten sinner saved by grace. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. All that junk. <laughs> that does not awaken your consciousness. I'm telling you, when you see this, you will realize how much of what comes from religious circles is being pumped out by the dragon. And drowning the earth. The earth is drowning in the voice of the dragon, waiting for the voice of the bride. (laughs) To awaken humanity to who we are. See, somehow in God's design, all of us were meant to come carrying the image of God to grow God's original design, to grow in a perfect environment, to go from glory to glory, being transformed into his likeness. The serpent actually was right. In the day you eat of the tree, you'll be like God. The problem was they pushed the day ahead of its time. And whatever happened at the fall, there was a veiling of the consciousness so that we lost the reality of who we are and where we're from. And now, outside the garden, it's through pain and struggle that we make progress. It's through great pain that the woman in the heavens gave birth to the child. But originally... It was not meant to be that way. So something went terribly wrong. (laughs) But God sent Christ into the darkness because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. To awaken the divine spark inside of you and inside of me. (laughs) To reconnect us to who we are to reconnect us to our original purpose and destiny. Does that make sense? (laughs) And there's pain in the process, and there's purgation and the purification in the process, but there's also joy in the journey. You are so important. You are so significant. Even the little things that you do, even the little things that you do, make a huge difference. You are a transforming presence. And as you're being transformed, the light that you release allows, makes it easier for others to be transformed. Makes it easier for other people to awaken. Makes it easier for other people to reach their destiny and their purpose. I believe that with all my heart. (laughs) If we could only see who we are. Manifest it. Everything would change. (laughs) So you are God in a human personality, in a human body. Manifesting a unique expression of who God is. To be transformed into his likeness. And radiate that.
love, joy, peace, power, authority. The kingdom and the power of the Christ. Right here and now. (laughs) Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, help us to grasp these things. Father, whatever I've said today that would breed confusion or discontent, I pray that it would fall away from the hearts and minds of my hearers, that which would awaken greatness and awaken divinity inside of us. Lord, I pray that it would do its work in our lives. And I give you thanks. And we give you thanks. Let's just take a moment and just wait. If you would, just just wait with me for just a moment. Let some of this sink in. Thank you, Father. So at least one person here, your heart, your heart is really hurting today. I don't know what you're carrying. It's almost like a crushing weight in your heart. God wants you to have a breakthrough today. God wants to renew your hope today. God wants to let you know that uh, you're just about to break through. You might feel like you're breaking down, but you're just about to break through. Don't give up. In fact, there's somebody here, I think you're a woman. (laughs) You even said this morning, I'm not going to call you out. I'm just, so don't worry about that. You even said these words this morning, I just give up. I give up. (laughs) But you made it here anyways. (laughs) So that intent of divinity inside you was still working. And the Lord wants you to be so encouraged today. The Lord wants you to know how much you are loved how valuable you are, and how significant you are. And so, Father, I pray for this one, especially today, that you would encourage and strengthen their heart, that you would release the blessing of heaven in such a way that there would be renewal and transformation and healing. that your strengths would be renewed within them. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll have people to pray with you if you need it, want it. Go out and be God in the flesh to somebody this week. Bless you. Thank you.